Hi, everyone. Welcome to Talk Racing to Me with Naomi. So glad to be back, to have you with me. And a bit of background, it's a Monday here. And uh, it is the 1st of November. I am about to get on a plane to fly to the West Coast. I'm right now in just outside of Washington, D.C. We'll be flying from Dallas to San Diego to see the Breeders' Cup. I am so excited. It's going to be a terrific week. Love the track. I think perhaps sometimes even the build-up is better than the races itself. No joking that the racing is amazing. So really, really can't wait to get there. And as we start really clicking into gear in terms of our Breeders' Cup coverage, In The Money Media's done a terrific job as is. They've got a, a slew of previews out already. I wanted to share with you a completely different side to the coverage of the Breeders' Cup. It's not too long now. I want to get you in the mood with an incredible Breeders' Cup story. Now, actually, let Rosie Napravnik herself tell you about her 2014 Breeders' Cup experience. It was the year that her and Untappable created their own tale. Most of you will have heard the post-race interview in the winner's circle, but few actually are aware of all the details that came into play. All in all, it makes for an incredible story and is best told by the lady at the heart of it, Rosie herself. So after a bit of chit-chat, the two of us uh, cut to it. Um, so obviously, uh, I was sitting on a couple of really good mounts for the Breeders' Cup. I also rode uh, Tapature that year and obviously had Untappable. Um, but I was also sitting on a very, very, very big juicy secret <laughs> um, that I was pregnant and going to be retiring. And um, I was very mixed on it was uh, there were very, very, very few people who knew um and I was very mixed on how I wanted to present my news. Uh, so I went back and forth of like whether I wanted to like let somebody know and do a TV interview or put it out in the form or which day or when, because I had actually uh, told my agent, actually my husband, I had my husband told my agent that he was taking me on a surprise trip after the Breeders' Cup, so as not to book me any mounts, um, because I was afraid to, I was afraid to tell my agent because I knew he would start looking for a jockey, and I knew that people would probably guess why. So, um, so I hadn't told very many people, and um, you know, I was going to have to make that announcement that weekend, and I didn't know which day, I didn't know which publication, I didn't know how I wanted to do it. And, um, so right before, you know, I've been going back and forth and like midday on Friday, before I rode the distaff, I had told my sister, I said, Hey, I think I decided that I'm just going to wait till Sunday and put it out in the form. <laughs> and so, um, so when, you know, going out to ride that race, it was like, you know, she was a three-year-old. She was the favorite, or I, I can't remember. She was the one-off favorite, or uh, one of the other good fillies went-off favorite. But um, you know, we were one of the favorites. But she was a three-year-old, and I thought we had every chance to win. And there was like 
just this little question in my mind, like, is this too good to be true? Like, could we, could we actually win this, you know, on my way out while I'm getting ready to retire? Um, but I had so much confidence in the Philly and we had such a cool bond of, you know, just the way we communicated and got along so well. Um, so there really wasn't any reason that we couldn't win. And, um, I just sort of rode the race, like, this is my race. I'm going to win this race. And then, you know, that's going to be it. So it was, it was perfect timing too with, you know, when I found out that I was pregnant and then I was like, okay, I'm going to be six weeks pregnant at the, at the Breeders' Cup. So, I mean, I can ride that long being pregnant and probably don't want to ride after that, but that's, you know, a hell of a time to go out. So that was the plan. And um, then I had decided to, to break the news after the weekend. And then, uh, you know, after winning the race, uh, it was just obviously a swell of emotions. And I was, you know, even contemplating talking about it in the interview that Donna Barton was doing after, while I was still on the Philly walking back. And, um, and then I was thinking, I was like, okay, I'll, I can, you know, I can, I was just kind of overtaken with the happy ending story. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to say it in the winter circle. And then I had thoughts like, well, but I haven't told my mom yet. And her feelings would probably be hurt if she didn't know. Them. <laughs> so, and then, uh, I always, um, I always, uh, apologize to Lafitte because I was like, I could have given you a heads up, but I, the reason that I didn't do that is because I knew I could take it back before the words came out of my mouth and I wasn't sure whether or not I could say it. So, um, it was, it was really an amazing race and, um, just was, you know, my storybook ending, uh, riding for Steve was probably in itself, just, just riding for that outfit was probably one of my career highlights. Like one of the things that I'm most proud of, uh, was just riding for Steve because he was a guy, he was a trainer that, you know, he would just ride whoever the best rider was for him and, you know, high win percentage. And, uh, you know, that, that put me in that category for a trainer of that caliber. And that to me was a huge accomplishment. So to go out winning, um, for Steve and the wind chills who had been fantastic, uh, super special as well. I can imagine. Can you tell me what was playing on your mind during that final quarter of the race when you, you know, you were hitting the front with untappable and, you know, were there already emotions starting to, to come through or, you know, what, what, what goes on right then? Well, uh, before, before the final quarter, like our trip was very wide and, um, Steve doesn't ever give instructions on a horse, but like his one instruction with that filly was, and I don't think he said it to me in that race, but he had said it to me maybe in the Oaks and his instructions were whatever you do, make it smooth. And so I tried to really not complicate things for the filly. And we were just so unbelievably wide. And it was one of those 
races where as a rider, you have to have that much confidence in your horse that you're looking at the rail and you're knowing how much ground you're losing. And you just have to say, this is the best trip for this horse right now. And so that it was a little gut wrenching, you know, allowing myself to take on that super wide trip. I mean, she lost ground every step of the way. And then, but turning for home, you know, I could feel how much horse I had and I felt like a winner, you know, from the three eight full home for sure. I think close hatches had started backing up and she was one of the horses that I had been worried about. Um, and, uh, yeah, down the lane, I, I knew I was a winner, um, you know, just by the feeling that the Philly was giving me and, um, at the point of the race that we were at and, uh, it was, you know, obviously I didn't start celebrating until we crossed the wire and and there was uh somebody come rolling um uh joe rocco jr was on um don't the tell Philly sophia. that came rolling yeah don't tell sophia i knew it was a sophia horse uh who came rolling at the end and um ironically he was actually one of the very few people who knew i was pregnant because his wife was a good is a good friend of mine and she was one of the only friends that I had told. And so he knew. And um, we actually, like, you know, fist bumped after the wire. And, like, he was he was really happy. And he said to me uh, after the race, I don't even know if it could have been years later. He's like, I really, I, like, wanted to win, but I didn't want to beat you because it was your story. Like, so that was really cool. Um, probably not a lot of people know that. But um, it was, uh, and, and that, too, um, you know, just having one of the one of the guys you know being really happy for me that was another one of my career highlights was having the respect of all the guys that I rode with so um that was super special too and uh but yeah I mean it was down the lane the last quarter it was all confidence but you know still getting the job done and um and then after the wire it was just it was all the glory but also all the emotion, right? You were saying that, you know, talking with Donna Barton afterwards, it was kind of, you know, what was it that you wanted to share at that time? And if you wanted to share your story already? Yeah, I was contemplating it. And I ended up just not, she was like, what does this mean to you? And I was like, I think I ended up saying something like, I can't even explain what this means to me, you know, like, and so wow. like, it was like, you have no idea <laughs> what this means, you know, um, and I just couldn't, you know, I just didn't know what to say, how to say. It was, it was so, you know, that was like, I have trouble watching the video now um, whenever I've seen it uh, because it was literally the most vulnerable moment of my life. And, um, you know, one of, one of the things that I was afraid of is that Steve was going to be really mad at me because I wouldn't be riding the Philly in her next start. Um so, you know, there's a lot of things that weighed on my mind, but it was a lot of like, how do I say this? Like, you know, it was so shocking and I knew it was going to be so shocking because not many people choose to really, you know, it's very difficult to choose to go out, you know, kind of at your peak. And I don't even know that that would have been my peak, but uh, it certainly was, you know, a tough decision. And I, I had come to the conclusion when we were considering you know, trying to get pregnant that, 
you know, like, well, I'm riding uncapable now. And it's like, you know, what if she wins Breeder Cup? What's next? And it's like, well, there's always going to be that horse. You know, that's why racing is so addicting for so many people. Like, there's always going to be, you know, something to keep riding for. And But I had felt, you know, so strongly that I was kind of ready to, to do the next thing. So, um, really, it was just part of the emotion was, like, being so grateful to racing for giving me that story. I mean, but you also, of course, created it yourself. This is, I, I of course, read about this, but what you're telling me now is this absolutely incredible experience. And I know that it was, of course, a, a bit of a while ago now, but it's, you seem to remember it like yesterday. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Very, very vividly. Um, I just, it was, you know, there's, I just feel incredibly fortunate to have been able to, you know, have the career that I had. It was very short uh, in relative terms. Um, I rode for less than 10 years and I had almost always had success. Um, you know, I, I went through a lot of setbacks with uh, injuries and that sort of thing. And I had a little bit of a tough time and a slump when I went to New York uh, initially, but my career for the most part, it was, it was just a wild ride. It was just fun and successful and taught me so many things, uh, brought me to so many connections. Um, and it was just, it was wonderful. It was, I'm so proud of it and I'm so grateful for it. And I'm also grateful that I was able to leave it behind and like wrap it up and tie a bow on it and be like, that's my story and I'll always have it. And now I'm, I'm almost on to the next story. Like I've, you know, got a whole different life now, um, which I love and I have no regrets. I have absolutely no regrets. And a lot of people have a hard time believing that. (laughs) (laughs) You certainly wrapped it up in your way on your terms. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, also one of the things that I was really proud of. I remember like in the earlier years of my career, you know, I obviously I had a lot of success when I had the bug as an apprentice. um, But so did a lot of people that didn't uh, have longevity or get to the, you know, the, uh, you know, the highest level of racing. So I when I had the bug, I was very aware that, you know, this could go away at any moment, like, and especially, you know, with with uh, so many people questioning the female aspect for me, <clears throat> I don't think I really ever questioned it. But there was a lot of people that did and would, you know, just keep it present in my mind. And, you know, I I when I was having all that success when I was really young and in the beginning of my career, I always used to say, what I want to have is longevity. Like I don't want to have a really good bug year and then be forgotten. I don't want to have a really good, you know, first couple of years. And then when I move to a new, you know, another track, I can't have that same success. Like I wanted to just move forward and get to the top. I wanted to ride triple crown races. And um, so, you know, uh, the goal that I set when I was seven to be the youngest person and the only people in the triple crown didn't happen, but there were so many things that happened that, uh, so many accomplishments that, you know, were never a given. They were, you know, it was, it was more than everything I could have imagined. Yeah. 
And I mean, you were mentioning obviously the female aspect. I'm assuming, you know, after a while that might get a little bit tiring with people asking, you know, oh, what does it feel like only being, for example, the second woman to win a Breeders' Cup race? Well, you are competing against men. This is a, a same-sex industry. So should it or shouldn't it really matter? Yeah, I mean, I was definitely on that side of it <clears throat> where I was like, are we still are we still on the girl thing, you know, like... Are we still on this? You know, like, can't you see after all that, you know, the, the female riders before me, um, after Julie, after my career, can't you see that it's not actually a gender thing? You know, um, that, you know, can't you see this isn't that it was never a big deal to me. Like it was never something that I considered and especially considering, um, you know, I grew up showing. So in showing every, you know, the, you're predominantly surrounded by women in showing, especially at the lower levels when I was a kid, like everybody, it was all girls, you know, there were, might've been one or two, you know, boys or men that I saw competing. So that to me too, I, you know, it didn't, it just never occurred to me. And, uh, you know, other than the fact of people continuing to, you know, ask me about it and, and say, how does this feel? Um, so I definitely was on that side of the spectrum for sure. But, but at the same time, like when I won the Oaks on Believe You Can, you know, it was like, well, goddamn, I am really proud of that. <laughs> you know, like, well, this is pretty special, you know, um, this is making history. So, uh, so, you know, it was, I, I guess I was very proud of it at the same time that I, you know, it wasn't what I was it was, you know, that wasn't the goal. It was just something that came along with it. So uh, the way I always describe it is I just got a hell of a lot more credit for doing the same thing that a bunch of other people did. Well, yeah, if you look at it that way, well, inadvertently, it also gave you that incredible, you know, career and personal highlight in the Breeders' Cup, right? That couldn't have happened otherwise. It absolutely did. Oh, my God. It's really refreshing to talk to somebody that recognizes that I had a complete advantage because I got more credit and more press and more, you know, hype for doing the same thing that lots of other people had done. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it that way, of course, I, I don't know what it's like riding in, in your season and getting that. But in a way, yeah, that's definitely, you know, you're making history for females, but men have already done it. So you're getting credit for what has, in a way, already been done. But what I was trying to highlight is that it gave you that beautiful moment of announcing your pregnancy, which I guess is not going to be the case with men. Is that really weird to say that that just will never happen? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, and, you know, I, I also, feel, you know, when you want to talk about the female aspect and, um, you know, way back when, you know, the hecklers would be telling you to go have a baby and, <laughs> oh, um, <God. laughs> you know, go cook, go cook a meal or whatever. But I was very fortunate that I could decide that I wanted to have a baby and retire. And I have a husband that was supporting me through that. Like the men don't have the choice to just retire when they have kids, you know, um, a, a, you know, a lot of men don't have a wife that's going to just support them after that. I don't even, that might be a really bad thing to have said and come back to haunt me. But, um, you know, I, I had the choice to retire and decide to have children when I wanted to, when I was ready, and I had a husband there to support me um, when I was, you know, when we felt 
we were ready to do that. So I feel incredibly fortunate for all of, you know, the blessings that I have been given. Well, I have, I did see, uh, I think it was a couple of days ago, wasn't it on Twitter, you put a video of you and your children on, what is it, Shetland ponies racing around a field? Yeah, that- yeah, yeah. Um, one of the ponies actually does Shetland steeplechasing, um, or at least used to, not with my kid, but he did that with another kid. And then the other one I found, the other two I found on uh, Facebook, and they turned out to be gems. So, yeah, um, yeah, I'm like having the time of my life, so... <laughs> It looked like so much fun, but I am assuming here now, I was, you know, reading up on a couple of things that you said afterwards. I am assuming, you know, how you've now reflected back on your career and how you're so proud of of the story that you've made and what you've achieved. And I I did read something shortly after saying that you wouldn't exclude uh, possibly one day coming back to racing. But just listening to you now, I'm assuming that that's not something that interests you that much anymore. Uh, I never, ever had planned to come back. Yeah, no, I I had never. And that was the thing is, <laughs> um, you know, it was funny because after I announced that I was pregnant, like I felt when I was at the racetrack and when I was around the people that I knew and all, like everybody was very shocked. But like the feeling that I got from everybody was almost like pity. It was almost like, uh-oh are you okay? I'm sorry you got pregnant. Now you have to retire. Like there was very few people that I think believed initially that it happened on purpose. And then, um, and so everything, you know, there were so many people, like if you looked on social media, it was like, she's coming back to riding. She's coming back to riding. And I never, ever had plans on it. Um, I never wanted to go back to, I never wanted to have that, you know, like when I was racing, I just gave 110% of myself to racing and my career. And I knew that I couldn't, be the same jockey once I had something else I wanted to put a hundred percent into, which was my kids. So, um, I had never planned to go back, but a lot of people, you know, were very, you know, there was lots of wagers made on what, you know, when or how long it would take me to come back to riding. And then I got, and then I got pregnant with my second son. And then, you know, everyone was like, well, she's just getting both of them out of the way and then she's going to go back to riding. And I was like, nope, I'm still not going back. Very interesting um, way of looking at it. (laughs) Our, you know, our original plan, my husband and I, you know, we talked about it like probably around the time when we got married, I was 23 and, you know, we would kind of, we kind of just were like, oh, you know, I guess when I'm 30, maybe I'll retire. You know, that's probably a good age when you're, you know, not in the the older pregnancy high risk area yet, but like, I'll have plenty of time to fulfill, you know, what I want to do in my career. And, um, so we just kind of like assumed like, okay, well, you know, we'll probably have kids when I'm 30. And then, you know, just got to the time where I was like, you know what, let's just see what happens now. Like, and that's kind of the way Joe and I both are is like, well, let's, let's just do it. You know, like this is how I feel. So we're going to just do it. And so, you know, there was, there's a certain amount of, uh, you know, pressure when you get to that, level of competition that makes it less fun and so I think that's probably you know obviously the the winning and the you know untappable and believe you can't that's all very fun um but the pressures with that come with it you know are are daunting on on athletes so I was I think I was feeling a little bit of that where it, you know it was a lot of stress and a lot of traveling and I was getting you know just feeling like I was ready to kick it down a notch and do something else so you know, I didn't feel pressure from anybody that I couldn't do what I felt like I wanted to do. So uh, we just, you know, I was 26. 
And I was like, heck, let's just do it. And Joe had exactly the same attitude. So, um, you know, things just worked out. Yeah, that really does sound like the most wonderful way to, you know, decide to wrap things up in, in, in a really nice fashion in on your terms with whatever you want to do with your life. I thought it was quite interesting you were mentioning some of the, the mental pressures of being a jock. Now, especially, for example, in Europe, they're talking about that a lot more as well, that you do see jockeys come forward about the, the, the amount of mental toll it takes on you know day in and out giving that 110 percent driving to all these different race tracks, especially in europe that's very much the case but of course in the u.s you travel a lot as well and you know how to deal with the fact that the majority of the time you're not going to be riding winners if you're hitting at 20 percent, which is one out of five yeah. you're actually doing very well yeah. so four out of five you're yeah. losing yeah and you know and you're you know you're you are as a jockey you're responsible for somebody else's investments, you know, um, you know, these are, you know, you've got million dollar horses underneath of you and everything's riding on your split second decision. Like that's a lot to take on. And so, you know, especially, and I mean, that's not something that I would go through like on a daily basis. I was actually, I rode really well under pressure. Um, and I, I thrived on it really. Um, but, you know, you are doing damage control and, you, you know, people are, you know, saying this and saying that and, you know, you're constantly trying to make other people happy when, you know, <laughs> in racing, a lot of things are come down to luck. So, uh, it, you know, just as a whole, it just becomes a little less fun. And um, I don't know, I love having fun. So I just decided to go have fun doing something else. But, um, you know, it was, but, you know, I can't say, like, I wasn't having fun at the end of my career um, because that was, you know, some of the best, you know, the last three, four years of my career were like the, you know, that's what I remember. So it was it was amazing. And I was, you know, very glad and lucky to be able to leave it, like I said, wrapped in a bow. You know, it's really hard to leave on a positive note. It's really hard because it could always get better, you know? So, but I, you know, of all, like all the people that had anything negative to say, didn't have anything negative to leave it on. So that's, that's how I felt. It was, you know, so positive at the end. Thank you so much to Rosie for generously providing us with some of her time, but most of all, be being willing to share her story, her motivations behind her actions, her experience and what it all meant to her in the most candid way. I loved chatting with her. I felt very fortunate to get the opportunity to do so. And I hoped all of you would have now gone, hmm, I did not know certain aspects to this story that certainly went all around the US and I dare say the globe as well for its headlines. So I hope you enjoyed it. I hope that means that we are in for a couple more exciting tales as we near Breeders' Cup weekend. Uh, Aside from that, quick couple of updates on my side. Um, Marilyn Million Day just came and gone. Terrific race day highlighting uh, the Maryland thoroughbreds. That was my first Maryland Million with fans in attendance, which was incredible. I think 
often we underestimate how much energy as a broadcaster or also just as a horse racing professional we get from the fans being there. It makes the day a gazillion times better. So I really enjoyed it. Was pretty much mentally very tired afterwards because it's you know it's a big day it's a long day you want to make sure that you're giving everyone the right information but that was uh, really fun as we're gearing up to the winter we have all year round racing here in Maryland to let me know if you ever come around love to say hello it's always nice to have horse racing fans around here and aside from that I know that Halloween was yesterday and it was my first time ever opening the door to trick-or-treaters and my boyfriend had to tell me to actually say trick or treat because I didn't know that that's what you're supposed to do I just opened the door and it had candy and I was like here you go candy no you say trick or treat um love the costumes so that was that was really cool maybe I get the opportunity to to trick or treat myself one one year um we have a different holiday in the Netherlands it's called um Sint Maarten it's on the uh, 11th of November we do also go door to door um, but we actually sing and we do dress up, but not really like scary dress up. It's a little bit up to everyone. And we make our own little lanterns. So you see lots of groups of kids with all these, you know, lights on sticks walking around the neighborhood, which gives it such a beautiful kind of, you know, atmosphere. And then we sing uh, to people when they open the door and then you get candy. So look, I'm biased. I prefer the singing. I think it's awesome. It means, you know, when you open the door, you you get a little bit of a performance, good or bad. Um, so yeah, but that's in the Netherlands. I do like Halloween. I thought it was great. And especially hearing all the stories from everyone and that you get to chat with your neighbors and things like that. So I thought that was, yeah, that was cool. And my costume, because I didn't have one, because, well, there we are. Um, I just kept picking up my black cat and dragging her to the door with me so that I'll be like, happy Halloween and I'm holding a black cat. I thought that was genius. I, I'm not sure my cat appreciated it much, but there we are. Guys, Hoping to see some of you maybe at the Breeders' Cup. And otherwise, uh, do reach out to me if you have any cool ideas for the podcast, if you want to comment or, yeah, my uh, inbox is always open. Chat to you all soon. 